Excellent. Okay. Um, I wonder, when was the last time that you ordered something at a cafe or a restaurant, uh, if you've been in a cafe or restaurant recently, and specifically requested that it be lukewarm? I mean, who in their right mind ever walks into a cafe and orders, for instance, a nice, I'd I'd love a nice glass of lukewarm water, please, or a bowl of lukewarm soup, or a plate of lukewarm toast, or a teapot filled with the finest tepid tea. Very few of us settle for lukewarm food and drink. And in Revelation chapter 3, verse 15, that's where that came from, not our verse for this morning, but one that bears some relation to it, Jesus tells us that we shouldn't settle for lukewarm hearts and lukewarm deeds either. He says to the church in Laodicea, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And it's a striking picture. And the verse we're going to focus our attention on this morning, Romans 12, verse 11, is, an, is in essence one big exhortation to not settle for being lukewarm for the Lord. It's a call to heartfelt service. And that's the title that I've given the message this morning, heartfelt service. And if you're familiar with Romans at all, as you, as you hear me say Romans 12, you might have already have twigged that our verse this morning comes just after that famous turning point in Paul's letter to the Romans. For 11 glorious, rich chapters, Paul has been systematically laying out the vast riches of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his saving power. And then finally in chapter 12, verse 1, he writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, in view of all that I've just been telling you, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So in view, Paul says, of all of God's mercies that I've just laid out for you like a great feast before you, here now is how we ought to live in response. Offer yourselves as living sacrifices to God. This is your spiritual worship. And then he begins to explain what that looks like. And if you had to sum up, in essence, the whole message of chapters 12 to 15 of Romans in a single sentence, I think it would be something like this one, which I've I've just completely stolen from John Stott. Chapters 12 to 15, here is their singular message. Let love govern and shape all your relationships. Let love govern and shape all your relationships. That's the message of chapters 12 to 15. In view of God's mercies towards us, let love govern and shape all your relationships with Christians and non-Christians alike, but with a special emphasis on how we should treat other Christians, on how we should love one another. That's a repeated phrase in chapter 12, one another. And that's especially the focus of the paragraph. We're getting closer, can you see? Bear with me, we're getting close to the paragraph that begins at verse 9, where Paul writes, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. And then comes the verse we're going to focus on this morning. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent 
in spirit. Serve the Lord. Here in verse 11, Paul makes three short yet powerful statements about what genuine Christian love looks like in practice. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. And if I I had to sum up this verse in a nutshell, it would be with the title of this morning's message, that genuine love in action looks like heartfelt service. But we don't just have to settle for the nutshell. We can crack the nut together this morning. We're going to crack it open and explore this verse under three headings, these three headings. First of all, we're going to see the heart of service. Secondly, we'll see diligent service. Excuse that in the background. And thirdly, we're going to see service from the heart. So first of all, the heart of service. And we're actually going to begin with the end of the verse where he says, serve the Lord. Because this is what lies at the very heart of all Christian service. Bear with me a moment. There we go. This is to be our goal and our focus to ultimately serve the Lord. To which we might say, well, hang on a minute. I thought we just said that this whole section was about how we love and serve one another. So which is it? Is it serving Christ, the Lord, or is it serving one another? And the answer is yes. Because repeatedly throughout the New Testament, we're told that our love and our service to Christ is worked out and fleshed out and made visible in our loving service towards other believers. And this is why, by the way, being part of a church is so vital to being able to properly live out New Testament Christianity, because so much of our service to the Lord is meant to be borne out in acts of loving service to other believers. We show our love for the Lord. We serve the Lord primarily through loving and serving his people. Now, of course, we're also called to serve those who aren't Christians as well, especially in pointing them to and showing them the love of Christ. But first and foremost, the heart of Christian service is serving Christ by serving one another. And we're to serve one another in a multitude of ways. Just uh, think, if you can, about the many one another commands that are there in the New Testament. I I think there are at least a hundred of these commands like, Love one another, be at peace with one another, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving to one another, seek to do good to one another, confess your sins to one another, through love serve one another, outdo one another in showing honor, bear one another's burdens, speak truth to one another, do not lie to one another, comfort one another. Encourage one another and build one another up. Stir up one another to love and good works. Pray for one another. Show hospitality to one another. Those are just some of the things we're called to do to love and serve other believers. And please notice too here that what we're talking about here isn't limited to a Sunday morning serving rota. Yes, it includes those things. And earlier in chapter 12, Paul touches on some of those more public gifts that serve us on a Sunday, but they're really just such a small part of the great multitude of ways that God calls us to serve and love one another. This is about service in all of life, and it's about service that really, really matters because at the heart of it all, when we serve each other like this, we are really serving the Lord. 
That's not to say we're not doing it to each other too, but we're ultimately serving him. Every act of loving service that we do, however big or small we might think it is, every act of loving service that we carry out for another believer is actually in service to Christ. And it shouldn't surprise us then that it also really matters how we serve. That the outward diligence with which we serve and the inner heart from which we serve really, really matters. And it's those two things, outward and inward, that Paul goes on to address in the rest of this morning's verse. In the first part of the verse, Paul addresses the diligence of our outward actions when we serve. And in the second part of the verse, the bit in the middle, he addresses the intensity of our innermost affections as we serve. So here then, for our remaining time, here is what passionate, loving, Christ-centered service should look like, both in terms of how we should act and how we should feel. First of all, let's think about this one outwardly. We should offer diligent service. That's our second heading this morning. Diligent service. This is at the beginning of verse 11, where Paul encourages his readers, do not be slothful in zeal which I think is a really interesting choice of words because it's not really the language that we might use in everyday talk. So what exactly does Paul mean here? Well, slothful, you might know this one, is another word for lazy. It's the opposite of being active and energetic in something. And zeal, in the original language, combines the ideas of importance and diligence. Uh, So that some versions actually translate this verse as do not lack diligence. But diligence in what? Zeal in what? In serving the Lord, yes, but more specifically, following on as it does from verse 10, it's zeal and diligence in loving one another with brotherly affection, verse 10, and outdoing one another in showing honor. What Paul is saying here is that we're not to be slothful or lazy or lukewarm or sluggish, in loving and serving one another. We're not to do half a job. Uh, Now, I'm sure many of us have had builders uh, in the home, and this is not a criticism of builders. There are some great ones out there, but we've all had builders who say they're finished, but when you look at the work they've done, you think to yourself, I think you're only halfway there. You've only done half a job. And we're not to be like shoddy builders in our love and service of one another. That's what Paul is saying. We're not to be sloppy or unenthusiastic or half-hearted in the ways we serve. We're not to be inattentive to new opportunities and occasions in which we might be able to grab hold of and serve. We're to serve with diligence and excellence, to go the extra mile, to ensure the job gets done properly and gets done well. Paul's exaltation here is, in essence, to give God our all as we serve one another, however great or small our all might be, to give our all in loving service, to be all in for serving him rather than being slothful in zeal. This is God's glorious purpose for our lives. As those who have been saved by his grace and called to present our bodies as living sacrifices, this is his glorious purpose for our lives, to give our all in the service of Christ, by loving and serving one another. It's a glorious call. It's a wonderful call. 
the very thing we were made for and then saved for. And yet, let's be completely honest now, over time it can be so easy to lose steam and grow complacent in our service. It's tempting, isn't it, to no longer give our all. It's tempting sometimes to lose heart and grow tired. And, and you're not an unusual Christian if you experience this temptation. That there is not something fundamentally wrong with you if you sometimes grow tired of serving. I feel the temptation often. So did Paul. So did all of the Christians Paul ever wrote to, which is why he had to keep on encouraging them to keep going. It's why he had to write to the Galatians in Galatians 6 verse 9, let us not grow weary of doing good. Because he knew that Christians are tempted to grow weary of doing good. It's why he reminded the Colossians in chapter 3, verse 23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. It's why he told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Our Heavenly Father knows that we need these frequent encouragements to keep going in doing good. He knows we need to be roused from our slumber. He is here with us right now by His Spirit, speaking to us through His Word because He knows and understands that we need His strength and his encouragement to keep going in diligent, loving service. So with his help, what can we do to keep ourselves from being slothful and lazy? What can we do to rouse ourselves to diligent service? Well, there's probably a lot that could be said here, but three Ps came to my mind as I thought about this this week, so I thought I'd share these three Ps. In all our service, we can strive to be purposeful, proactive and prayerful. First of all, we can strive to be purposeful. In all of our service, we can think about the purpose behind our serving, purposefully reminding ourselves who it's ultimately for. Whether we're praying for someone or cooking them a meal or setting out the chairs on a Sunday or changing nappies every single day, we can remind ourselves this is all in service of the Lord. This task that I'm doing, this love that I'm showing, it's ultimately in service to Jesus. It's all for my Savior and my King. So we can be purposeful. Secondly, we can be proactive. The second thing we can do to battle laziness is to be proactive in finding ways to serve. Asking ourselves each day, where can I love and serve others in the service of Christ today? I think we're always more energetic and fruitful when we're proactively planning, when we're thinking about what to do and when to do it and how to do it best. So before we come down in the morning or before we arrive home from work in the evening or before we drive to church on a Sunday or before we meet with a friend over coffee, we ask ourselves, where can I really serve this person or these people that I'm about to be with? So let's be purposeful, let's be proactive Thirdly, we can be prayerful. We can pray and commit every new task to the Lord, asking him to help us serve him diligently in it, 
asking him to help us have a heart of love for him and for his people. We can ask him to give us the strength to do it well and in such a way that it actually blesses others. We can consecrate our service to the Lord in prayer. So those are just three short practical ways we can rouse ourselves to greater diligence in service. Uh, And you might be able to think of lots more. And especially if you can think of more beginning with P, let me know and I'll add them to the list. But there is one more vitally important thing that will help us too. Something that's even more important than the three Ps. Something that really is essential for genuine, heartfelt Christian service. And it's the final thing Paul mentions here, right in the middle of the verse, where he says to his readers, be fervent in spirit. You see, our outward diligence, our outward zeal is really meant to be fired and fueled by an inward fervency of spirit. Which brings us to our third and final heading, service from the heart. Service from the heart. Be fervent in spirit, says Paul. Well, what what exactly does he mean? First of all, he's not here talking about the Holy Spirit, although the Holy Spirit is absolutely central in helping us with this. But he's talking about our own spirits, our inner man, our what we'd commonly refer to as our hearts, the seat of our will and our affections. That's what's meant by the word spirit. And this word fervent literally means to boil or bubble over. So what Paul is calling us to here is to have hearts that continually boil and bubble over in devotion to the Lord. Hearts that are, that are aflame with love for him. Something that Matthew Henry describes as a holy warmth, an ardency of affection in all we do as those that love God, not only with the heart and soul, but with all our hearts and with all our souls. This, he says, is the holy fire that kindles the sacrifice and carries it up to heaven, an offering of sweet-smelling savour. And what this means is that what we How we feel as Christians matters just as much as what we do. True Christian experience is something that is meant to be both known and felt. And true Christian service is meant to be from the heart. That's what Paul's talking about here. That we would be not just active in good deeds, but bubbling over with love and devotion in our hearts. Now, let me just mention a couple of caveats To avoid misunderstanding, Paul is not here talking about just some kind of superficial outward cheeriness. Fervency of spirit is not about always having a smiling face. It's about having a soul that feels deeply about God and deeply about other people. A soul that cares deeply about the things that God cares deeply about. So it encompasses every kind of human emotion. It expresses itself both in rejoicing and weeping, verse 15. In hating what is evil and loving what is good, verse 9. In quiet humility and passionate brotherly affection. It's also possible to have a kind of fervency of spirit towards God and yet fail to actually channel it into actual service. But it's clear here in verse 11 that spiritual fervency is meant to result in genuine service. 
Otherwise, it's just like filling and filling and filling a fuel tank on your car and never actually going anywhere. Or constantly pouring fresh water into a stream that doesn't have any outlets or anywhere to go. All you end up with is a self-contained, self-serving little pond that does little good for anyone else and which soon becomes stagnant and unhealthy. Having dealt then with those caveats, let's ask what I think is the most important practical question for us this morning. How can we maintain fervent hearts? How can we keep our hearts warm, bubbling and boiling over with love for the Lord and love for one another? And even more importantly, how can they be heated again once they've turned lukewarm or even grown cold? And and I think it seems this element of keeping our hearts fervent is included in Paul's thinking as he writes this. Certainly several other English translations translate this bit of the verse, keep your spiritual fervor, keep yourselves fueled and aflame. So how do we do this? How do we keep our spiritual fervor? And just as importantly, how do we restore it when it's gone? Enter, you've all been wondering, the urn and the teapot. Which sounds like I'm going to tell you a fable about the urn and the teapot, but that's not it. Uh, I brought with me this morning, this is for anyone that's, well you can see, but if you're listening later on, I brought with me this morning an urn and a teapot. And uh, I filled up both of these first thing this morning when I arrived here. So I filled the urn and turned it on. I filled the teapot with boiling water at the very same time. Both of these items you'll see, now, now it's like I'm doing a magic trick, both of them are made of the same material, both made of metal, both designed for holding boiling water. They're designed to be full of fervent, hot liquid, just like our regenerate hearts as Christians, are meant to be full of a spiritual fervency for Christ. But look what happens if I go to make myself a cup of tea. So, tea bag in the mug. It's going to be some quick brewing, but here we go. Here's the urn. This urn has been plugged in for probably a couple of hours now. And maybe from where you're sitting, even you can see the steam rising. The tea is already turning a, a nice shade of brown. Here's the teapot, filled up at exactly the same time with boiling water. And I asked someone at the beginning, not naming names, but Ange, whether she would have the tea from the tea or the teapot, and she said the teapot, and I said she'd be corrected. (laughs) But, But even now, oh, piping hot and on the way to being a good cup of tea. And and this, it's already got that film floating in the top when you use lukewarm water. Oh, and it's, uh, as someone who likes to think of himself as a tea connoisseur, I wouldn't drink that cup of tea. <laughs> so the, t- the urn is still full of lovely hot water, but the teapot is tepid and lukewarm. Here's the link. Our hearts are meant to be like the urn, not the teapot. Our hearts are not intended to store something that just got heated up once upon a time, a long time ago, and which we hope will just hold its heat for the rest of our lives, or even just for the rest of the week. That's not the way to have, a, uh, have and keep a fervent heart for Christ. Because our hearts are intended, like the urn, to stay hot, to keep bubbling with energy and fervency through 
being continually plugged in. The urn has been plugged into the power socket there all morning. And so too, we will only keep our spiritual fervor if we keep ourselves continually plugged into. Not to the national grid, but plugged into the grace of God in Christ. Again, that's why Paul wrote 11 whole chapters on the riches of God's grace in Christ before finally turning to describe how we now should live. What we need then to maintain our fervency for love and service is to stay plugged in to the riches of God's grace in Christ. And we don't need to come up with new and inventive ways to do this either. God has already given us the primary means that the Holy Spirit loves and delights to bless. They are the gift of his word, the gift of prayer, and the gift of being with his people. And so, friends, if you feel this morning that your heart is no longer fervent and warm with love and devotion and deep feelings for Christ, these are the places to turn. These are the places, the the fountains where God promises that he will meet you by his spirit to rekindle and reignite your spiritual fervor and where he will go on sustaining it from there on. Because the Christian life was never meant to be about what we can do in our own strength to revive and refresh and warm our own hearts. Not about what we could do to make ourselves more loving, more fervent, more heartfelt as servants of God. It's all about what God can do and what he will do in us by his spirit as we respond to his invitation to draw near to him, to plug in to these channels of his grace. I don't know about you, but it is not some concept of spiritual duty or obligation that drives me to seek God each day. That wouldn't be nearly enough to draw me, especially when my heart has already gone lukewarm. The thing that propels me towards him, even when my heart is cold, are his unfailing promises of help and mercy and grace. His promises that although I can't sustain fervency of spirit myself, he can restore it in me and sustain it thereafter. He can revive my soul. And I just want to be completely open for a moment about my own heart here. My heart is so prone to turning lukewarm or even feeling cold, to becoming unfeeling towards God and the gospel and the needs of those around me. I honestly, just being honest, I honestly feel like for some reason my, my heart requires more fuel than most other people's just to get it ticking over and kept somewhat warm. And sadly, that's not because it's some kind of uh, gas-hungry, high-performance supercar, so you, know, you put a lot in and you get a lot out. Honestly, most days my heart feels like more like a, a clapped-out, run-down, smoke-belching Austin Metro. Leaking oil and fuel everywhere so that I have to keep drawing on large quantities of God's grace just to keep me going down the road. Now, I, I don't know if that metaphor works very well, but I just share it in order to say that speaking to you as someone who has a wrecked Austin Metro of a heart, I can testify, along with so many people in this room, that God is mighty enough and kind enough to give us enough new morning mercies to warm our spirits in him each day, 
through the simple reading of his word, through his eager willingness to hear our simple prayers, and through the genuine loving fellowship of being with his people. And whether you feel like your heart's like a leaky Austin Metro, or perhaps you think you've got something a bit more watertight and reliable, there is much grace and spiritual fuel that God is eager to provide you with continually if you'll only keep yourself like the urn, connected and hooked up to those heartwarming means of grace that he provides. His word, Christian fellowship, and the glorious gift of prayer. But if I may, just before we finish, I also, I don't, I also want to... Put in a word for one more channel of grace. This is an an optional one, I stress that. But it's a good one. And I'm talking about the encouragement that can be found in reading a good Christian book. Now, let me just say it really clearly. Christian books are not essential to living a life that is not slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. God's word and prayer and his church are enough. But throughout church history, Christian books have been a huge source of blessing and encouragement to God's people. And we shouldn't ignore, I think, the way that the Holy Spirit has often used them to give his people real fervency of heart down the centuries, often using them to draw people more into his word and into prayer and into fellowship. You know, even Paul, the great apostle and writer of so much of the New Testament, while he waited in prison on death row, wrote to Timothy and asked him to bring him his books. Now, perhaps you don't consider yourself a reader. Perhaps you used to be, but you don't have the time or the attention span to do it anymore. All all I'm going to say, all I want to say to try and entice you back again is this. There is great spiritual treasure buried in the pages of the best Christian books. Treasure that in his kindness, the Holy Spirit, is often pleased to use to reignite and then sustain genuine fervency and deep spiritual feeling in our souls. Maybe it's just my own over-tendency to a coldness of heart, but there's hardly a day goes by that I'm not consciously feeling the need to seek some additional warmth for my soul in the pages of a good Christian book. They help me, and I just wonder if they might be of help to you too especially if right now, as you've been listening this morning, you feel, you know, you realize there's a lukewarmness in your heart towards God. One thing I want to add, of course, is that it really matters what kind of books we read. Certain kind of books will increase our spiritual fervor more than others, and some will even do the opposite and lead us astray or encourage us to rely on ourselves. Time is precious, isn't it? Reading is time-consuming, and so no one should be wasting their time on unprofitable books. So here's just a few quick thoughts on how to prioritize. Here's how to be selective. And, but let me say again, first of all, before we pick up any Christian book, we should first of all be reading the Bible. There is no other book like the Bible. Every other book is human and flawed, but the Bible alone is God's flawless, perfect, life-giving word. There is nothing that will better feed our souls and fill our souls than spending time with God prayerfully in the pages of his word. But then, if after that we've still got some time for reading a few pages of a Christian book each day, let me recommend 
choosing books that meet the following three criteria. First of all, go for biblical books. Look for books that are faithful to the Bible and full of the Bible. Books that will drive you back to the Bible and give you a greater love for what God has said in the Bible. So biblical books. Choose Christ-centered books. Often we have this tendency in us to reach more eagerly for practice-centered books. Books on parenting or marriage or work or evangelism or, or whatever else. Now there's nothing wrong with such books. But what will really deepen our faith and sweeten our joy are books that talk much of Christ and the gospel. So biblical books, Christ-centered books, and thirdly, ensure they're soul-stirring books. Now, arguably, all biblically faithful Christ-centered books are going to do some good to your soul. But again, life is short and our hearts need heat. So it makes sense to prioritize books that move us, that reach down into our hearts and affect us deeply. Books that speak of Jesus in the warmest possible tones of devotion. So choose a book that is biblical, Christ-centered, and soul-stirring. And if you ever want recommendations, don't hesitate to come and ask. In the end, though, you can, t you can take or leave that suggestion about Christian books. But before we finish this morning, let's remember and return to the real heart of God's message for us here. In Romans 12, 11 this morning, that in view of God's plentiful mercies, as those who have been saved by his grace, we have now received the most honorable of calls on our lives to love and serve the Lord by loving and serving one another. As we've seen, there's no greater task in all the world than this. And therefore, as we've seen, we are called to give ourselves to it with wholehearted diligence and with fervency of spirit, whilst remembering always that the fuel for such heartfelt service is never to be found in ourselves, but in the plentiful grace that God so generously provides. Let's pray.